this episode, I'm talking to Adele Nazar, CMO of Aventon, the fastest growing e-bike brand in North America. We're gonna talk about one, Adele's surround sound marketing approach that drove over 300,000 e-bikes sold for Aventon in the last three years. Two, how much they spend on brand versus performance marketing. And three, the top marketing channels that led to an astounding 18,000% growth in revenue. We'll also try to figure out exactly how much revenue they make as the largest e-bike brand in North America. And if she can't answer a question, we both have to take a shot of hot sauce. Wish me luck, Martians. Hope you enjoy this one. Hello, hello, Martians. Welcome back to another episode of Marketing on Mars. Today, we're joined by the CMO of one of the fastest growing e-bike brands in North America, Aventon. They've sold over 300,000 bikes in the last three years since they started, and they've grown from a small little company to now one of the largest uh, e-bike brands uh, in North America and, and even around the world. So Adele Nazir. Adele, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's, um, I'm really excited to dive into uh, Aventon because you guys are obviously e-bike, you're an e-bike brand, you guys grow really fast. I, I'm excited to dive into uh, all the details of how you guys grew so quickly. But first, I wanted to get to know a little bit about uh, Adele. I'll, I'll try my best to give an intro on you and then I'll, I'll pass it over to you because I think you'll do a way better job than I can. Um, so, uh, so my understanding as I'm going through your resume, yeah, you really started off as a uh, as a growth marketer in agency. You worked in the agency world for a little bit, and then you kind of made the switch around. I think it was 2017 or something, or 2013 when you joined um, Metatab. Ten, uh, mm -hmm. ten years ago, yeah, you made the switch from agency and you switched over to client side. And ever since then, you've just been working at different companies. You've, you've even won some awards and now you're working at one of the fastest growing e-bike brands. Um, that is my intro to you. I think that was horrible, but I'll let you, I'll let you fix that up for me. Yeah, no, I mean, well said, you know, I started my career agency side where I got to work on so many brands. I believe in my agency side, a tenure, about 10 years, I was able to touch over 90 brands and, you know, wow. brands that I, that are recognizable brands like Tempur-Pedic and, and Hair Clip for Men and other really fun ones. And so part of that process of being agency side, I was able to do everything and work my way up in my career. So everything I asked my team to do today, I've done in some capacity. And then I made the the transition to client side because I had really sharpened my skills and I wanted to bring that growth um, hacker skill to the client side direct. And that was the switch I made. And ultimately, I haven't looked back. I've been working brand and client side since. And um, part of the the things that I love doing is how do I unlock growth for these brands? How do I really take them to the next level? Um, and so I really challenge, you know, each of the channels that we're, we're focused on. I challenge the team. I'm always thinking about how do we stay cutting edge? Where is the innovation? And that's been a big part of the process that I apply to the client side. And so that's also gotten me some awareness in the space and, you know, have, have won multiple awards, a, a Revy award, a drum award, and was nominated 
nominated um, for Marketer of the Year through Marketing Nation and was one of the top three finalists. Um, so it's been an amazing journey to get to where I am. And I've, I'm very fortunate to be able to build the incredible teams that I also have that help me bring all of these successes to life. Yeah, well, we're definitely going to dive into everything over the next 40 minutes or so. Uh, talking about growth and innovation so important nowadays uh, because the world of marketing changes faster now than ever before. Every couple of months, there's a new platform, new hack, new this, new software, all this. AI is coming out, like things that you probably have never seen in your 20 years. So very excited to dive into it, it all. But first, there's a little tradition on the show. We usually start off the show with a shot of hot sauce. What do you have for us today? What's your weapon of choice? So I'm a big sriracha <laughs> fan. And one of my really good friends who knows I'm obsessed with sriracha got me into this new one called Coconut Sriracha by Aplenty. And it's actually really, really good. But it is very spicy. Um, it's, it has a kick of red jalapenos and it's balanced with like a creamy sweetness of coconut and garlic. So I'm a big fan. And it also has habanero in there. So this is the brand. Nice. Okay. So, so, so it sounds, sounds like it's a little bit to the spicy side or like yeah. mid tier. So we're going to start off the show with a shot of hot sauce. Okay. Um, this. And as you know, I think that's good to, to, okay. to, to start, to start off with. Yeah. I have something right. like this. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Yes, that is the right way to start. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, especially on like an empty. Uh, me too. Oh. Okay. Wait, you're, you're, you're in West Coast. Are you in West Coast? Yes, I'm in um, Southern California in the Orange County area. So we've got beautiful weather today, but rain is coming. So. Yeah, I heard it's been raining a lot in, in Southern yeah. California. Yeah, we're officially out of our drought, which is incredible. I think it's been years and years since we've not been threatened with a drought. So, are you okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. This is, well, um, I did a little more than I anticipated. <laughs> that's okay. But that's all part of the show. Okay. So, um, before we dive into anything, Maybe tell us a little bit about Aventon, the company that you're currently working at, and kind of what do you guys do? Maybe the short, the shortest suite of it. Yeah, of course. Aventon is a brand that's focused on bringing e-bikes to the masses. You know, we are a brand that's really baked in accessibility and quality, and not sacrificing quality for accessibility. And so, our our mission has been to accelerate the adoption of e-bikes in in the world globally. And so, I'm very excited to bring the brand to the um, the show's listeners. Yeah, and so so you started with Aventon. Three years ago, was yes. that when Aventon started? Or no, Aventon is a long, ten, yeah. Yes, so Aventon is a ten-year-old brand. The brand ah. started in um, 2013 as a fixed gear, fixie-focused brand, really focused on performance cycling. And the brand had amassed a cult following. But um, at mm. the onset of the pandemic, we realized there was a significant need to bring e-bikes to the consumers, and we started that transition from being a 
only fixed gear and performance cycling brand to an electric bike brand. And we haven't looked back since. Wow. So, sorry, you said that you guys transitioned uh, into electric around what, uh, what year? So officially, our first e-bike was launched to market in 2018, but it was very low key. Um, and then in 2020, we accelerated the e-bike um, launch strategy at the onset of the pandemic when we started to realize there was a significant need for e-bikes in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I mean, um, you know, when you travel around Asia or many places around the world, e-bikes is a huge Huge thing. Even if you go to Europe, uh, e-scooters are really big, right? Well, e-bikes have exceeded car sales in certain parts of Europe. So it's incredible to um, wow. to see how far along they are. And, you know, with the thing I say about the U.S. is sometimes the U.S. is late to adopt some of these things that are already trending in other parts of the world. But once we adopt, we mm. adopt hard. And I think that's what's been happening these last three years um, brought on by the, pa- the pandemic, which we call, you know, the second bike boom. It's, it's been very exciting. <laughs> It is right. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. That's exciting. Um, so you joined really when you guys started really pushing for the the e the, the e bike side, and so you know your background as a growth marketer, right? You put your your growth hat on, and you guys were able to grow significantly. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that growth, and whatever numbers you can share, like <laughs> revenues. Anything that's shareable, I'm going to get my hot sauce ready just in case it's not shareable. But yeah, anything you can share to let us know where you guys are at right now? Yeah, you know, so I'll say this. In the last three years, since 2019 to today, we have grown 42x in revenue. So just put that on for size. You know, we are um, now at, you know, we're at the nine-figure level in annual revenue and just really breaking any records we imagined for for the brand. And so that's been the growth that we've had. It's been extremely accelerated um, and it's been so rapid that in the process of trying to keep up with the growth, we've had to really navigate some significant backend and operational also changes. And mm. our even our factory um, had has grown in, in the team size by 5X, we've broken ground on new space. We're in the process of potentially also expanding into new facilities. So there's a lot of massive growth that occurred all at once in three years' mm. time. And uh, so is, is a factory based in the U.S. or overseas? It is overseas, but it is our own. We own the factory. So everything we do end to end is under the Eventon umbrella and we control every aspect. There's no middleman. And that's part of why I think we've sustained, you know, we've been able to grow as fast as we have is we can, we can ensure quick go to market strategies. When we see a trend or, or new tech that's emerging, we can go to market much quicker than anyone else. That's one aspect. And, and I think a big reason we've had success. The other is that we pass those savings onto the consumer. There's because there's no middleman, the quality is not sacrificed and we can put the best in our bikes at a price that is unmatched in our, you know, in our subcategory. Wow. Okay. So going back to that question about revenue, you said you guys are at nine, nine figures. That's basically a hundred mil plus. Do you, is there, is it, 
<laughs> is there an exact number that you can share with us? I can't. We are privately held and we, we have t- had two successful investor funding rounds. But yes, I it's unfortunately I can't say. But you can Google and find some additional information about valuations and investors if you're really, really curious. There's some. Yeah, we can share. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah. All right. So that light means we're taking a shot of hot sauce. <laughs> You did so well. You did so well. You you almost avoided it. It was sorry, that was a good one. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. All right. This is really spicy. It's got the habanero kick that really just uh, makes my throat. Uh, all right. Are you ready? I did it again. Oh no! Force them out. Filled, Force them out. I filled the whole thing. But it's okay. okay. Ready? Cheers. Cheers. Oh, <laughs> you're so good. Look at your mm. poker. It's just. Oh. Clenching mm. okay. your fist does not help at all. I wish it helps. No. Um... All right. <laughs> Wait, what hot sauce are you working with? I didn't even ask you. Um, it is a um, Korean hot sauce. I think it literally translates to fire. Or, <laughs> okay. Um, and it's, I actually don't know what it, uh, what's in it, but I heard it's like some like capsation. So it's just oh. like a really concentrated chili. Yeah. Um, so it's not, it's not horrible. It hits you really hard in the beginning and it just dies down really quickly. Sure. Uh, whew, but it is spicy. All right. So over a hundred million dollars in revenue. So obviously very, very large. That's growing really, really fast. And um, you had to expand your manufacturing plants and, and all that. You mentioned a, a fundraise. How much did you guys raise? I'm very careful. Oh, oh careful no. about asking this, be... but. Uh... <laughs> Are we going to have to do hot sauce again? I can't. Is that not... You can't say how much you guys have raised? I, I know. Oh, I know. Do you want to take that one back? <laughs> Can we do a take back? Okay, hold on. Well, okay. This, usually, usually no, but maybe let's just postpone it for another three minutes. We'll okay. talk for three minutes and hopefully that's okay. Okay. I'm, I don't okay. see any lights. I don't see any lights. So hopefully do that. Okay. okay. Well, you guys have, you guys have done a couple, you guys have done fun fundraising. And you've yeah. had some investors, right? Yes, yes. Um, and um, so tell us a little bit about just the last three years have been crazy for you guys, 40 plus X growth. What were some of the secrets behind behind this growth if you were to pinpoint, you know, your top two or three kind of um, growth hack strategies that allowed you guys to grow so fast? Yeah. So the first one that I think is so important is we took a, you know, we took a kind of a a step back and try to understand what are consumers really needing right now during this pandemic. And 
as we started to understand the psychology behind the pandemic and what it was doing to their behavior, we realized that we could communicate the um, the real ex- value of an e-bike in a way that resonates, right? So people were getting a little stir crazy, cabin fever, um, gyms were closed. And what e-bikes really mm-hmm. did that was incredible is that it gets you out of the house. It helps you reset. It, get, it connects you with nature and anyone can ride an e-bike, right? So imagine people with, you know, accessibility issues, maybe you aren't the most fit, but you want to be able to ride, you don't need to exert as much energy unless you want to. You've got the different pedal assist levels. You decide how you want to use them. So e-bikes really expanded the bike, the traditional bike that everyone grew up learning how to ride to everyone again. People who hadn't ridden for decades can get on an e-bike. People who had maybe, you know, been dealing with ailments, maybe even hip replacement can still ride an e-bike, but also young and fit people can also ride and enjoy an e-bike. And so e-bike brought people together and got you out of the house. So we started communicating that you can social distance on an e-bike. So I know in the beginning, people were like, that's a bit tone deaf. You know, this is a very serious time. And I'm like, you know what? I realize that, but there are people who are going to resonate with that. There are people who are dealing with things that an e-bike can help them overcome. And so that was the first thing we, we decided to communicate in a way that no one else was. We, we said, you know, social distance on an e-bike, um, ditch, uh, ride sharing. You don't have to be, you know, exposing yourself to public transit, things were closed, just get out on a bike. And most people only commute five to eight miles away from their home anyway. So an e-bike was so perfect for that. And so that was the first thing we did is we made sure our communication centered around their needs during a very critical time in our history. The second thing is that we, you know, we had this activation of our marketing that was very much about surround sound. You know, when when I first joined, we had a couple little tactics running. You know, we were doing the basics, right? Paid search and paid social. And what I made sure that we did is we activated a much more surround sound approach to ensure that at every touch point, we were exposing the consumer to the brand. And so we activated channels like, you know, direct mail and we, you know, video and, and TV. And we really made sure that where the consumers were consuming media, we were in front of them. And this brought a lot of awareness to the category, but also to the brand. And that was something that, you know, I'm, I pride myself on in any strategy that I go to um, market with for any brand is look at and take stock of your consumers, um, cons- you know, digital and offline consuming behavior and be where they are. And so that's what we initially did. And then the third thing is obviously, you know, there was this um, huge, you know, um, uh, demand brought on by the pandemic for bikes. And we had our own factory. We were able to produce bikes much quicker. And so when other brands were dealing with stock issues, we were very fortunate to still have product available. Wow. And so that was also a significant advantage to owning our own factory is that we could do things in a way and quicker than anyone else in in our space and continue to have product for the consumer. So those would, I would be the three secrets to our our growth in the last three years. Those were your secret sauce. Secret sauce. I I don't have to do that. Not do hot sauce, but secret sauce. Um, All right. So messaging, activation, activating various different channels and having a surround sound approach and then having your own factory. Those were like the top three uh, reasons for growth for you guys during COVID. Right. So that's amazing. Um, 
I want to dive a little bit deeper into the into your uh, surround sound approach, right? It's so important nowadays. Just yeah. just having one channel is not enough. Just being on social is not enough. Just being on email is not enough. You have to be uh, the world that we live in. Consumers are smart. Uh, businesses are smart, but consumers are getting increasingly smart. They're going to do research. They're going to find out things about your company through various different channels. So having an omni-channel approach is super important. You mentioned direct mail. You mentioned video. You mentioned TV. Any other channels that you guys are on currently? Well, I mean, obviously we have, you know, the traditional um bottom of the funnel channels, right? We've got our paid search. We've got our paid social. We've got a really strong affiliate presence with a phenomenal set of publishers that are, you know, leading the category and reviews and talking about these products. We have strong PR coverage. We have a great PR strategy. Um, so we've, we've got quite a lot in that way, but we also are nurturing our database. You know, we have this significantly healthy database that we're segmenting and communicating to regularly and content, you know, we're not just yeah. resting on our laurels with paid. We're also putting out really helpful and valuable content. So one of the things that we started early on is how do we make our content way more helpful and valuable? It's not throwaway content, right? Our, our yeah. Lots of brands put out throwaway content and our content started to gain traction with the industry because we were writing about really tough topics like, um, you know, issues with inventory and um, with with the um, ports being congested and people not getting their products. We started writing about supply chain issues and things that were really beyond what consumers maybe were used to from a brand. And so transparency was so critical um, early on for us. And so I would say those are some of the, the key channels of activation. It's when I say surround sound, there is really no channel that is off limits. Um, and wow. as part of that, we also have to look at incrementality as we're layering in channels. And so I don't, the traditional way of attribution is just not sufficient anymore. And so that's a big part of our ability to optimize as well, what we're doing and making sure that we're allocating resources, time and money in the right areas. Okay. I want to talk about two things that you said that really resonated with me attribution and then um resources yeah those two things really really resonated with with me because those are the two biggest challenges for marketers right now attribution is just all over the place i want to dive into that with you but first i want to talk about resources you guys are that's another thing that marketers are are struggling with where a lot of marketers are complaining nowadays that they're forced to do more with less um, cause things are so expensive now. If you want to do paid ads, your CAC is just through the roof. Now your CP, CPC is through the roof. It's so, so expensive to reach your target audience. It's harder to target. So it's just, uh, you're constrained with resources. Talk to us about your, because you're doing so you're part of so many different channels. How do you budget? First of all, how much do you guys do? You, can you share how much your annual or monthly marketing budget is? I mean, it's a healthy budget. Anywhere between, you know, 12, 10 to 12% of our revenue is put back into marketing. And then within that, there's, you know, about 50% allocated to brand, brand building, and then about 50% towards performance and, you know, um, the lower part of the funnel. And so for us, it's, 
when, when we think about resources and how I resource allocate my team, their time, their energy, as well as the dollars, it's about where the consumers are engaging at the highest rate. I'm not necessarily looking at last touch because that we know there's too much complexity in the old school attribution model. It's, um, you know, the customer journey is just increasingly complex. We know it's nonlinear. They have way more, um, you know, devices than ever to worry about. There's limited visibility um, from, in my experience, I've, I've worked with a lot of traditional attribution modeling and it's just very limited visibility. And sometimes those changes you're making don't always kind of net out what you expect. There's a lot of inaccurate measurement, in my opinion. There's, you know, because changing consumer behavior is so, is shifting so quickly and consumers are shifting towards more research, to your point. Um, it's just harder to to validate that traditional model. And then there's the rise of privacy concerns. You know, I, I talk a lot about this. I've, I've written about it as well as a topic that is of high concern, privacy concerns, regulations like CCPA, TCPA, GDR, GDPR. There's so many that marketers so many. have to be aware of. And that is also limiting how attribution is accurately presented and, and what that data means. So I don't believe that attribution is, is something that a, a, a strong growth marketer can use to grow. You have to be looking at incrementality. And that's where, as we layer on new channels, is there an overall lift? And what does that lift look like in the grand scheme? And are all my numbers rising to account for this addition of the channel? If we're not seeing the proper lift and there's no incrementality associated, then we shift, we pivot, but we give it enough time. You know, there is this rule that you have to make sure there's statistical, you know, significance to the data. And so that's a big part of it as well. And so every channel varies, um, but ultimately it's about testing. It's about incrementality. It's about holdout groups, making sure that as you layer in everything, it's measurable, trackable, and that the overall metrics are going in the right direction. And so that's been a big way that I, you know, guide our, our budgeting and resource allocation. Cool. So, um, so t- 10 to 12% of your revenue is spent in marketing. Um, so, so how much are you guys spending in, in, in marketing? A healthy amount, millions a month, if that gives you an answer. It's not a small number. Um, okay. Hot sauce. All <laughs> right. Let, okay. Let's, let's do it. Let's... <laughs> I mean, it's flashing in front of me. Am I, was I supposed to ignore it? <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Ready? Okay. All right. Cheers. 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 Oh my goodness. I hope you're still going to like Sriracha after this episode. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think I will. I don't know if I told you when I was pregnant with my firstborn, um, I put Sriracha on everything. Oh, um, no. It was is like that, a weird, is that good? It was a weird craving. I, I, it was. It was amazing at the time. I think my brain just wanted it. It was a craving, a pregnancy craving. So I had this little Sriracha keychain I would take with me everywhere. I would put it literally on everything, including like watermelon, you name it. I was dousing wow. it sriracha. So I don't think anything will make me not love sriracha. Well, hopefully. uh, Okay. We'll, we'll see. We're, we're two shots deep. Oh no, we're three shots. Oh, we're three shots. Oh my God. (laughs) There you go. My brain is not working now. That's awesome. (laughs) So you said something that was very interesting. You said you want, you like to focus on the highest engaging platforms. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about that because sometimes the highest engaging platforms aren't always the ones that lead to 
the most what most you know traditional marketers would especially when you're focused more on performance they'll be like oh it doesn't lead to roi or it doesn't lead to um that's one issue and then the other issue is there's a lot of platforms that have a lot of fake users and a lot of bot activity how do you combat both those arguments you know if your ceo or or exec team is asking you about why you're spending so much on this one platform talk to us a little bit about those two things yeah so engagement doesn't always mean sales or roi right engagement can be consuming of the content it can be viewing of the content it can be you know engaging with the content by just commenting and and sharing it so we view engagement differently across the different platforms so it really does vary by channel and where the dollars are being spent and how they're spent so for example linear tv clearly that's a lot harder to measure engagement but we are looking at reach and frequency in that channel and we're looking at you know if we're running a tv spot and we have a certain you know um reach and frequency that we've hit what is happening offline what is happening on our site what is there an incremental lift occurring is our our brand searches going up right is direct traffic increasing those are engagement signals we're looking at for tv for example so every channel varies and it's not all down to the sales right and that's that's where i think marketers get really lost if you're focused on all the low-hanging fruit all the time and you're not building the top of the funnel you're not focused on it you're going to start to really get stuck on growth, that's where you start to, um, you can't move the needle and growth becomes much harder. But if you're focused on filling the top of the funnel and really nurturing those people down the funnel and doing it thoughtfully and with that surround sound approach, then you're going to see growth unlocked in a magical way. And that's been something that I, 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 would love to scream it from the rooftops because I think that is one area where people just, especially marketers, sometimes don't focus enough on. It's scary at the top of the funnel. It's expensive. It's not as easy to measure. Um, it's hard to quantify to the executive team and the board, to your point. But as long as you can show that incremental, you can show the lift, the growth is happening, everything is working in harmony, then you keep doing it, right? Um, and so that's that's my advice. So what do you think is a, for you, what is your top channel? If you had to choose one channel to spend your brand awareness dollars in, what do you think oh, is that's the best a tough channel? One. You know, I don't know that there's just one channel. They really do work together. But if I have to say one channel that we found tremendous success in that I consumers seem to love is the you know publisher and review channel. It's the area of, you know, where we are, because we're limited sometimes in, in dollars to spend, where we send a bike out to an expert publisher who has maybe a, their own website, like an electric bike review site, and we say to them, review this and talk about it organically, you know, do what you will with it. This bike is yours to keep. And so that channel has been a really great channel for us that I, you know, we are expanding a lot of into further and we're putting a lot of time and energy into and I believe in because consumers seem to use that channel heavily in their research process and we know that at this high AOV high consideration for our category consumers really need that third-party validation from an expert a non-biased expert and so that's been one channel that 
um, doesn't cost a lot, right? It's costing us the cost of the bike and the shipping and we're getting organic reviews for it. And we're not censoring the reviewers. We're saying, write what you believe, you know, talk about it because we believe so much in our product. And so that's been one channel that I highly encourage for brands where it's a big part of their consumer journey. Yeah. I know a few years back, I, I was I was pretty deep in affiliate um, channels, and uh, it, it was really popular to use display ads on on uh, you know third party networks where you post your ads on to uh, sites like I don't know for example there's a site that does only reviews on different bikes and you probably want to put your ads banners on their front page kind of thing is that is that channel still a very viable channel uh do, do people still do you do you still use it yeah case? i mean that channel still works but that's not where we're spending a lot of our energy for us it's finding mm-hmm. publishers that have an authority they've built their own authority voice in the category and they are a source that consumers go to for all things e-mobility for example or all things tech and we're those are the mm-hmm. ones where we would rather get an organic review of the product than just an ad placed on their site. I mean, sometimes we'll do a, you know, homepage takeover on their site if they've done a review so that Mm -hmm. we're surrounding the consumer with easy accessible links. But ultimately that is not a big focal point for us. It's really about getting their voice about the product in front of the consumer and having that voice be authentic to them and their experience with the product and not censoring them, not having it be brand owned, it's, it's really that organic review of the product. And that's not necessarily always affiliate, right? Affiliate is one angle, but we also right. have a large publisher network of publishers who don't have affiliate network channels. And you, you do work with them in a different capacity where it's more of a sponsorship or, um, you know, a review of the bike plus maybe an additional um, flat fee. And those are the most, in my opinion, powerful right now. We're also seeing that translate into YouTube. You know, these these reviewers are building YouTube videos. These right. videos are a ton of viewership. And so we are heavily focused on YouTube as a channel. We've had hundreds of reviews. I think in the last year alone, last three years, we've had over 500 YouTube reviews across all these different publishers oh and organic sources across all of our models. And so it's, those are the channels where I don't have to spend a tremendous amount, right? I'm not spending um, exorbitant costs per clicks on a keyword that may not be as relevant where I know that Google's yield, it, Google's about its yield and it might be matching us to the wrong things. So in this mm-hmm. way, I'm really controlling where the content's going. It's going in front of the ideal co- you know, consumer, it's part of their journey. It's high value, high impact, high return, and it's brand building. It's all the things. So, yeah. I feel like 2023, and I hear this all the time from other CMOs and uh, founders coming on the show, uh, is 2023 and probably the next couple of years, really a content driven market. It's just creating good quality content gone or the annoying ads on people don't really go for those ads. I mean, of course they work sometimes, but it's part of a bigger story. Like you said, you got us, you don't, you don't start with that, that, that kind of just amplifies the whole story. So what percent of your market budget do you think are spent towards these kind of organic reviews or like, what would you call that channel? 
So this is the channel we call, you know, publisher review channel and it's real and, and part of PR as well. And, and so that channel isn't a huge part of my budget. It's a small percentage of the budget, but it's a massive part of the journey and overall, you know, source of contributing to the revenue, um, and part of the funnel. So it's, it's really, I mean, I couldn't tell you the exact percentage, but it's, it's pretty low. I mean, it's the cost of goods in many cases, and then a small fee here or there on top of that. But again, we try not to censor. So when we do pay for that sponsor, we tell them here are the specs, but test it play with it, push it to its limits. Does it really go the range that we've called out? Does it really ride as well as we have said? Does it, does the motor work the way that we've called out and explained? We, we want them to give an authentic review of their experience. And that's the key. And I go back to that. There's no amount of dollars you can spend on that. That is such a powerful signal that you give to the consumer where, you know, the consumer can now take in good, bad, all the content and then make an informed decision because we don't want them to buy blindly. And we definitely don't want them to buy a product if they're unsure. And so ultimately they should be doing their, their research. And, and so the spend in this channel, while not significant is a channel that is a significant contribution to the consumer journey for eventing. Yeah, no, um, this is awesome. Uh, I, I, I love talking to uh, CMOs that, that get the, how important brand awareness is. Because a lot of uh, a lot of CMOs, like you said, are afraid to have these difficult conversations with their CEO when they're presenting the budget, and five five out of the ten million, because you said it's about you know I'm just throwing out random numbers, fifty percent of your spend is is in brand awareness, and now you have to justify why you're spending half of your budget on brand awareness that can't always be easily tracked. How do you how did you tell your story with to your CEO and to your board? that you're going to be spending 50% of your budget towards brand awareness and like what KPIs did you go towards? What data points did you use? Yeah. So the, the biggest thing that I always direct their energy on is, is the overall, you know, revenue growing are the ROAS metrics in line for total spend against total return. And are we hitting our overall, you know, goals for, the volume of sales we need to hit. And if that's happening, there's no reason for me not to continue to spend on brand awareness because if we're not going up every month, year over year, then then there's a problem. And that's when I have to justify it differently. But because we've had such healthy growth, the justification is all in the numbers and it's all in, mm. the, it's all in the numbers at the highest level. Like I don't have to break it down because we know that if you start breaking down channel by channel, well, what attribution, you know, variable should I look at? You can't, you can't. So, so it's really about, like I said, incrementality. So if I layer in a new publisher or if I layer in a new channel, is there an incremental lift that we've gained when we measure the data baseline against this new channel being added? Did it create a lift? And if that lift exists, what, what is the quantifiable incrementality metric against that lift? And so those have been some of the conversations we've had. And we use a, a, a tool called Measured. It's a, it's a partner that focuses on incrementality. I'm sure you've heard of them. They're very yeah, big yeah. in the e-com and they help us really quantify those variables as well. And we do holdouts and geo holdouts and so on and so forth to really make sure that when I do get in front of the right, you know, the executive team, I have some data sets to show them, but ultimately we're looking at the greater numbers. Is revenue going up? Have we grown year over year? Is it going up in the right direction? Are we still 
hitting our efficiency markers? And is are those dollars being spent still delivering um, a healthy ROAS? And if that's happening, then we are all happy. Exactly. And look, so not, does it, does it doesn't always work. So. Yeah. Well, I have a couple of things I want to dive into, but first, um, when you when you're measuring incrementality and you're in, let's say you're trying to spend, uh, you know, an additional fifty k somewhere for brand awareness. Does that mean does that mean you're adding one new brand awareness channel at a time? Like you don't like to add three different channels at a time because then it makes it diff- more difficult to measure incrementality, right? Absolutely. So we do have to have a baseline. We do want it to be measured and controlled. It's important that we have some sort of control in place. If we're just activating a bunch of channels all at the same time, I'm never going to know what's working. And so that's been a big, um, just best practice that I, me and the team operate within the marketing team. And I believe that that's helped us stay really lean and, and efficient. You know, we are efficient and that's something that I'm, I'm proud of as we've grown. We've actually been very efficient in our marketing efforts because of this strategy. Yeah. Uh, how often do you activate a new brand awareness channel? Like every uh, well, we, four weeks, three weeks, five weeks, like how, how long do you give? Yeah, it's on average about eight weeks right now when we look at the, the time frame that we need to gather that statistically significant data set. And so that eight week period has become kind of our sweet spot. Sometimes it's shorter, sometimes it's longer, but I will say we, we talk about, about this often and that's why I know that the exact weeks, eight weeks is really that sweet spot for us. And I think that it's probably for the majority, it's about eight weeks. You, The first four weeks, there's so much variability and noise, you're, you're shifting their consumer behavior with this new channel, you're adding in one additional touch point. In so I think four weeks sometimes is just too early, you know, more than eight weeks might be too long where now you're introducing much more larger scale issues like macroeconomic variables that could change it. So I think eight weeks really seems like a good kind of sound metric that we've used and it's, it's worked for us. And then, and then to compare, you, you, you talked about engagement, you, you compare based on engagement. Um, do you just compare uh, based off of like CPM, like the CPM for this channel is X dollars and the CPM is like, what's your, what's your North star metric that you like to use to compare to different uh, brand awareness channels? So brand awareness is, we use CPM as a big one. So how much eyeballs or impressions am I going to get for the, the, the CPM versus another channel? And ultimately, I want the most, right, for the lowest CPM. Of course. And because I come from agency side and have worked in this space for over 20 years, I also will never pay rate card. So I'm a hard negotiator with, with the partners we work with. I will go toe to toe to get the best rate. And I also don't believe that you should pay rate card. For example, when we do TV, we are working with a great agency that focuses on remnant buys. And yes, the placement isn't always guaranteed, but I'd rather get a lot more impressions and placement for less cause than if I was to pay rate card. And that has been a way for brands like us who are in that growing phase, who, who don't have unlimited budgets to, to enter channels like linear TV, for example. Um, and then also, you know, so yes, those are what some of the metrics I look at, but also, I also, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but engagement is so important. You have to think about how are they engaging with the channel? And that mm-hmm. is so different across each channel, but 
for me, what I've learned about channels like TV is if you're not hitting the right reach and frequency, it's not going to do anything, right? There is a sweet spot for how many times they see your commercial um, for them to actually then take action from it. And if they're not seeing it enough and you're just getting very limited placement, then don't bother to spend the dollars, right? You have to unlock that certain, as an example, channel that I look at for metrics. And then for direct mail, we're looking at, you know, are people, when we're sending that piece to their home, are they using that promo code? Are they going to that URL that's there? We give them very easy even a QR code, are they scanning it? Are they just even scanning it? Not even necessarily clicking mm-hmm. through or doing anything. And those are metrics we look at to see, is that even resonating? Are they doing anything with it? And that's a good baseline to know that, okay, there's some opportunity here for us to optimize from. Are you doing the direct mail campaigns yourself? We actually, um, we had a, a direct mail agency come on our show recently. I wonder if that's the same company. No, we we are outsourcing. We work with a great company that I've worked with for many years. I kind of bring them with me everywhere I go. Pebble Post, they do this really cool programmatic direct mail that I think is so brilliant. It's fully dialed in. It's digitizing direct mail. And so I'm a big fan of their work and we've had tremendous success with them. And they have really cool, you know, lookalike modeling and they take your website visitors, they take known and unknown visitors and can associate household addresses. And you can really do a lot of great segmentation and communication from, from that platform. Wow. And a postcard is so visual, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that um, marketing channels go through cycles Mm-hmm. And kind of like whenever there's a channel, like, for example, email, everyone's saying email is dead. Well, what happens when everyone thinks email is dead? It's not dead now. It's uh, not like, dead. I, email I'm is a huge e- channel for us. Email is a huge channel for so many. And, and a lot of companies are starting to get, to get back into email. Um, and, then, and, and, and same thing like TikTok. Everyone's saying TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. Well, now it's harder to win in TikTok than so- it was earlier during COVID, uh, right? Did you guys try anything on TikTok? We did. We actually were a big early adopter in TikTok in our category. And we worked with TikTok very closely for over a year, spent millions of dollars on TikTok. We did also like very organic influencer led campaigns. We worked with really cool influencers like Brody, the dude who has a dog that he puts on, you know, on his back and rides a bike. We've worked with, um, you know, so many fun influencers in the space, the McCarthy family who were doing really cool things. And what we found Mm -hmm. is we were putting great content out that was resonating, but it was just not yielding the results we need. So when you think about incrementality, we weren't getting that incrementality out of it that we needed. So we did have to pivot away from it a bit. Now we, you know, we still manage our TikTok channel. We also use Spark ads, just so you know, we not only created the content, but we measured and tracked through Spark ads, whether it was working. We also got into the early TikTok shopping beta. And ultimately what we found is it just wasn't working for our channel. So um, we still do it organically, but it's just, we're not investing heavily in TikTok like we once were, but there's channels like Reddit that are shockingly surprising the team and us as a whole that are performing really well in our category. Yeah. Harder to get eyeballs for Mm -hmm. for Reddit, but when you do, it's very engaged. So qualified. qualified. Whereas TikTok is like views for days, you'll get hundreds of thousands of views, but no qualification. Um, My hot take on TikTok is that um, 
people are mostly there. It's not a hot take, but most people are just there to be entertained. You just got to do ridiculous things. It, it can have zero to nothing to do with your brand. Like yeah. look at Duolingo, yeah. um, right? They're nothing to do with their brand. It's just a crazy owl going everywhere, but they kill it on TikTok. Um, and I, I don't know. I think some brands have really figured it out. Taco Bell does really well on TikTok as well. Some people have figured out how to get the viewership. And then, you know, again, it's just like brand awareness. You just try to get as many eyeballs as possible. And if you can do it organically, great. You're probably winning. And then you just find a way, find a way for them to convert somehow. But um, yeah, definitely not as qualified or the, the qualified ratio is much lower. Yeah, I mean, you said something that's really important. I want to reiterate it, that not every impression or every click is created equal. You know, there's this idea, we'll just get the most. But no, that's not true. You know, we could invest all this time, energy, and dollars into going viral on TikTok, but is that going to translate into the consumers actually buying our product? It may not because... That is, there has to be other engagement metrics that are of higher value to really indicate if it's yielding the results you want all the way down the funnel. And that's the thing that I think brands sometimes get lost in. For example, you mentioned Duolingo. You know, it's great that they're doing that, but is that truly beyond just the viral appeal of the owl? What is that doing to their overall brand? Is it translating into sales? I don't know. And I'm not there, you know, I don't have their metrics, but... It's hard to quantify. And so I've, I have this year for us, and I think 2023 in general for the majority of brands is about the quality, not the quantity. And that's my necessary, you know, my hot take this year on the uh, shift that's happening in the space. Go for quality. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to have Duolingo if you're listening. We'd love to have you guys on the show, (laughs) by the way. I, I, I I read somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I read somewhere that their revenue increased like something like 50, 60% year over year. So is it TikTok? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Right. Um, but they're doing something right. Their, their marketing is strong. Um, well, they're and doing they, a lot of things right. I'm not saying they're not, but yeah. I'm saying TikTok, I can't quantify TikTok. Specifically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And maybe your ICP is different as well. Uh, so yeah. your ICP, what is it? Like 25 to 35 kind of thing or um, it's actually a, a little bit higher it's about 35 to 55 wow okay 35 to 55 it kind of makes sense that reddit is strong for yeah. that for that age group 35 to 55 how's how's instagram working for you guys instagram and facebook traditionally that was that age group you know spent a lot of time on facebook and instagram does that still work for you guys yeah, I mean, Inst- so Facebook more than Instagram. Instagram is great. It's something, it's a it's a nice to have. We have a presence, but Facebook really yields great engagement for us. You know, that yeah. audience it is just dialed in and they consume the content. They share, they they interact, they comment. Um, those are all good signals. Um, similarly with Instagram, but I will say Instagram is still um, not as impactful. But channels like Facebook and Reddit are incredible. And YouTube, YouTube's been a huge source mm. of growth for us as well. So YouTube, have you noticed the YouTube algorithm update? I, I don't, can't, I can't remember when it's definitely in the last, within the last six to eight months, but a lot of channels that were really big on YouTube suddenly getting 
no engagement. And yep. our channel, our channel, we started it eight months ago. And we went from zero to regularly a thousand, two thousand views per short, um, beating some of the channels that have ninety thousand subscribers, and we only have two hundred subscribers. So our engagement rate is really high. Have you noticed a, a shift there? We have. We have noticed a shift. We have publishers who grew their entire you know business on YouTube, and now they're seeing much lower viewership. And I think that what we've noticed with the change is it is looking for higher engagement. It's trying to minimize um, channels or, or, you know, that are not necessarily yielding engagement. And I think that's not a bad thing. Sometimes you do have to reset. So anytime Google does an algo reset or YouTube or any of the major, you know, meta, I, I think ultimately it's working most of the time in the right direction, except when it's Instagram. I think their algorithm changes are always so off. And I'm like, stop trying to be... Right. Everyone else, TikTok, just uh, trying to be TikTok, just focus on being Instagram. And so, but yes, sometimes it's a good thing. I will say for YouTube, it, it has harmed a lot of um, creators, but I've also seen creators who do great, you know, reviews and videos that are so now good, being yeah. recognized for it. So I'm happy to see that it's giving a platform and an opportunity for those less recognized creators to get some attention that well-deserved attention. So, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, Unfortunately, our time is up. I was going to ask you a few more questions, we're, but I think we're going to have to do round two at some point. Um, before we head out, shall we do a little tiny, another little tiny shot of hot sauce? Let's do it. <laughs> Why not? You know, you only live once. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, by really the way, this was, yeah, it was so much fun, Adele. Oh. This is awesome. Just cheers. Cheers, Simon. Um, We'll have to reconnect again um, at some point for round two. This was amazing, uh, by the way. Yeah, um, I, I can't show you my notes, but <laughs> are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm I can't show you my notes. We've only talked about 30% of what I wanted to talk about. Oh, no. that's, how, <laughs> that's how deep we dove into branding, which is amazing. This is going to be an amazing. For anyone who listened all the way through to this episode, you guys are you guys are going to win this year in brand awareness and in overall branding because the things we talked about, just amazing. Um, oh, thank before you, we jump out, before we jump out, last few things, anything you want to plug about Aventin or anything that you're doing uh, personally, how can we stay in touch with Aventin or, you know, your personal stuff? Yeah, you know, I um, I am uh, going to be attending Electrified in Long Beach this year in May. So if you want to come out, I'm actually speaking at the event. Um, it, it's a great event that focuses on all things electric and EV. There's lots of really cool cars that get shared at these events. So if you're in the SoCal area, please attend. It would be great to meet you. In terms of events and what we're doing, we're launching new tech on all of our products. You know, we just today is actually a launch day for us. We just launched one of our OG models, the first to market model with an upgraded technology. It now has torque sensor, which is way more intuitive. So if you're in the market or are e-bike curious, check out the e-bike line. I think that you're going to love it. It's so much fun. And my advice to everyone is ride more, be happy. So I will leave everyone with right. that. Awesome. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Adele, for joining. And for anyone who made it all the way through, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get you on round two very soon. We'll, we'll have to do this again soon. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you.